Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast, coming to you from Santa Barbara slash Montecito, California, uh, where the weather is great. And luckily, um, luckily, I'm still COVID free, although I'm not really free. I don't feel uh, walk around with a mask and not being able to. Uh, go uh, to restaurants, you know, inside and go go to concerts and all this stuff. Boy, I miss it. I'll tell you, I really miss it. Along that lines, I've been thinking, too, about the parallels of, you know, what's going on uh, today with what happened like 100 years ago. And it's uh, pretty fascinating if you think about it, right? Uh, World War One ended. 1918 then you you know you had the spanish flu uh, at that point that that killed a lot more people uh than uh than covid and uh after that you had the roaring 20s and it made me think about it a little bit right what's going to happen once this covid thing uh is no longer an issue and i got to tell you I don't know about you, but I am ready to party, right? I mean, it is like, uh, and I bet you most of the country, most of the world is thinking like that. And, you know, so hopefully what will happen is there'll be this massive, you know, desire to travel, go out, to go to concerts, et cetera. And we will have the roaring 20s again, as predicted by ITR Economics as well. Um, prior to this COVID-19 thing. So that's what I'm hoping for. We'll see what happens. Uh, listen, uh, before we get started on the topic of today's show, though, I do want to remind you there is something called wealthformula.com that you want to check out. It's the website that is um, that is associated with this podcast. Lots of resources there, lots of uh, things you can download, things you can join. Uh, there is Investor Club. For you accredited investors who are tired of sitting on the sidelines, because that's not what you should be doing, especially these days uh, as we reset the cycles and there's opportunities coming along. Gotta get you gotta join, man. You gotta join. If you are an accredited investor, um, stop being on the sidelines. Join us um, for uh, Investor Club. Anyway, on to uh, the topic of today, which relates to my friend George Newberry, opportunities in real estate and for entrepreneurs. You know, entrepreneurs are uh, just professional problem solvers, um, and uh, a lot of them, frankly, 
they are, you know, of course, all of you know, we all like to make money, but for entrepreneurs, making money is sort of like keeping score, right? It's it's how you keep score. I mean, if your business is successful, you make money. If it's not successful, then you don't make money. So that that's kind of what I mean by that. And I know this firsthand because I am an entrepreneur at my core. And I have to tell you, that is not me bragging at all. It's not a choice I made. It's the way I was born. Uh, and entrepreneurship is not is not usually glamorous, is frequently depicted in the movies, uh, you know, on, on TV shows, et cetera. Most of us, most of us entrepreneurs have more failures than we have successes. And believe me, those failures can create profoundly negative effects for the people around us. It can be a little bit of a curse, frankly, right? Like any addict. And like an addict, you get this big high, you know, the entrepreneur gets the big high when he when he identifies a problem and uh, finds a solution, uh, and and that can be really strong, right? Uh, and being able to look at an inefficiency and realizing that it can be fixed by just creating a business, and that business could actually turn into something that makes money. That's happened to me a few different times. It's worked. And it has not worked. But uh, when you identify those inefficiencies, it's pretty exciting. The ideas are, are, you know, you're like, wow, I got this idea. This is super cool. And when is the best time, do you think, to find an inefficiency in a business model? Well, I will tell you, it is when times are bad. You see, when times are good, profitable businesses usually leave way too much meat on the bone because they are, well, they're kind of fat and happy, right? You know what I'm talking about. So when times are good, few people look at ways of doing things better, but they don't have to. If you're already making a good profit, what's the point of, of, of sitting there making sure you're doing everything as efficiently as possible? Uh, only when the tide goes out do you discover who's been swimming naked, as Warren Buffett says. And when times like that happen, profits get tight. Businesses have to rely on becoming more efficient. Uh, ingenuity becomes a big part of survival. And this is the perfect setting for the entrepreneur to thrive because that's where crisis becomes opportunity. You know, my friend George Newberry is, I have to say, probably the purest entrepreneur that I know personally, uh, more so than me. And I, I consider myself kind of a, a little bit of a freakish person when it comes to entrepreneurship. In my old age, I started stop chasing a lot of uh, shiny objects. But George is older than me, and he's chasing chasing man uh like like anything uh and he's actually doing really really well with a bunch of them he's been uh on the show several times you know he's the the course of the founder of ahp servicing we had him on with his uh business debt cleanse uh, he's been on several times and most of anybody one individual person this week we're going to talk about his latest business that stems from a major problem in the system, the embargo on foreclosures. Of course, 
that's great for people living in those houses. But what if you own a note and on a house and no one's even living in the house and you can't foreclose? Now that that kind of sucks, right? That's that's a big problem. Anyway, in usual George style, he's found an elegant solution where everybody wins. And the good news is that there is an, even an opportunity for you to participate and get your own feet wet as an entrepreneur by essentially, uh, you know, sort of joining forces with him. Uh, anyway, this week I've got George and I have the president of this company that George started, Barry Owens. Uh, and both of them are going to join us here for this conversation on this new business and how you can get involved when we come back. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, uh, my guests are, well, one of them is going to be very, very familiar to you. He has uh, set uh, multiple records in terms of appearances on Wealth Formula Podcast. George Newberry, the founder of uh, initially what was American Home Preservation, now American, uh, or now um, AHP Servicing, and we also have Barry Owens. Uh, Barry is uh, the president of Pre-R-E-O, which is another company that George actually started. And uh, this is a very interesting model, and we're going to talk about uh, how this all works together. Guys, uh, welcome welcome to the show. Welcome back, George, and welcome to the show, Barry. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Buck. I'm trying Thank to stay ahead of the pack. Very good, very good. Yes, you are. I have actually lost uh, lost count on how many uh, times you've been on the show, but I can tell you for sure that you're an A-OK number one. Um, I'd so, like to see standing. <laughs> you know, I know. <laughs> so I can check to make sure that I'm, I'm staying ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. You've got the new, you know, you've always got the latest, you know, latest and greatest stuff, you know, the newest stuff and different stuff going on. So, uh Hey guys, so let's let's uh, let's start out with this, okay? Because obviously, you are in uh, the real estate world, and you are seeing, uh, particularly, you're in the real estate world with a uh, first row seat to any potential distress. So, as it stands today, uh, and now we're talking about, you know, 
first week in July as we speak, um, or yeah, well, second week. Let's take a step back and discuss what's happening in the single-family home market nationally. Are we starting to see some distress yet? What's going on out there? Definitely distress. Uh, I think the uncertainty is what what causes uh, is causing a lot of the distress. You know, COVID has now is currently resurging in in some states, and some states are actually backtracking on their reopening. So it, it creates a lot of uncertainty for investors, for lenders, for servicers. And you know, currently today, uh, you know, we we have a problem um, in some, or challenge in some states as a, as a mortgage holder in terms of the ability to foreclose. There's foreclosure moratoria uh, across the country in, in in many states where they you cannot proceed with a foreclosure in some cases, or you cannot proceed with certain steps of a foreclosure. And uh, and that's fine. It's deserved. I mean, we want to protect the homeowners, but in some cases, you know, the homes are vacant or the families passed away, and it the home's just sitting there vacant. So that's a problem. Uh, the, but amongst the other problems, I mean, there's many families who are, are, are relying on getting back to work in order to pay their, um, pay their mortgage. And it's a question mark as to when they'll get back to work. And if, if when they, everything's clear, Hey, go back to work is if, if there'll be jobs to go back to in some of the situations. So it's a tough, I mean, it's a tough, I think unprecedented time in our country. And I think we're going to be feeling the after effects of this for, for years to come. Yeah. And, and the challenge right now is, you know, it's almost kind of a, you know, sort of anticipation of what's going to happen in the next, you know, next couple of quarters, right, is the potential for some of these safety nets going away. That's potentially when we're going to, you know, see a lot more distress in that uh, single family market. Do you agree with that? Definitely agree with it. There's been the stimulus, there's been, uh, you know, the, the um, boost to unemployment. So I think that's helped get people, uh, survive the first few months. And I think there's going to be more of that. So I, last go round in 2008, the government did step up and supported some modification programs. A lot of states provided a state, um, different state um, administered homeowner assistance. And we're already starting to see that. Illinois just unveiled their program uh, in the last uh, couple of days. Uh, the um, Montana's already released their program. I'm only aware of two states that are providing direct homeowner assistance, but that's starting to happen. I think we're going to see that um, across the country soon. And, uh, you know, this is government assistance, which props things up um, for a short period. There's always the theory that, you know, we just need to get through the next three months or the next six months. But, you know, what happened in 2008 is there was this kind of vision of a bridge to, you know, the other side and, you know, the other side never really materialized in terms of it, it, it just kept getting for a few years, just kept getting worse and worse. And, you know, by the time, you know, they bought three months here, six months there, you know, then with HAMP, it was five years, but in, yeah, even after five years for many situations, people's situations hadn't improved. You know, as, as long as, as long as you're here and I know we're going to talk about pre REOs, but I'm curious um, you know, from my understanding, listening to investors on AHP servicing, I mean, certainly, um, you know, the, the people are still getting their payments, uh, like clockwork every month, et cetera. Um, are you feeling any, any, you know, difficulty in collecting those kinds of, uh, um, you know, those, those, those mortgage payments from people right now? Cause it, it seems like you're withstanding it pretty well on the AHP servicing side. 
where we're standing at reasonably, we're standing at reasonably well. You know, there are homeowners who are on forbearance plans. Uh, there's there's other types of um, payment arrangements that we're making with families who are in distress. But I think you know a big chunk of our revenue comes from the ultimate disposition of the property, which in lots of cases is the sale of an REO. We can't do that, uh, and that's right. a challenge yeah. because in some cases, a we can't foreclose. In other cases. Um, we have foreclosed. I mean, I can think of one property in particular. We foreclosed in January. We still don't have the deed to the property because the sheriff's office has been closed since March. And uh, so we're hoping that changes. In some places, we do have a deed, but the recorder's office is closed or is has reopened but is very far behind. So there's a lot of factors which are really impacting or drawing out uh, our revenue. So right now, and, and you know, it, it's, it's created a challenge, uh, not on distributions. We've been able to cover those, but on, on redemptions, you know, a lot of people with COVID have needed their money, their have requested their their investment back because of the um, because they're facing you know unexpected challenges of their own, and we're doing those in the order received. But it's it used to be within thirty days, and that's just been tough to keep up with, uh, just because of the increased volume, and then you know couple that with the decreased revenue because it things are are still shut. So that's and we thought it would be you know at the beginning we thought oh thirty days you know this would be back to quasi normal, and here it is you know, four months later and it's, it's not a, it's not back to normal. And the, and probably the worst part of it is we don't even know when it'll be back to normal. So it's de- right. definitely a challenge. Uh, that said, all this, this kind of, uh, uh, this, all, all these challenges create opportunities yeah. and we are trying to find means to help homeowners as well as, you know, maximize our investment returns. I would expect that this, the second half of the year will be very rewarding uh, for HP and HP servicing. It's just a matter of, of, um, of shifting, making pivots as needed to, you know, the new re- reality. And I think as a servicer, we are a f- small, nimble national servicer, whereas a lot of the big, you know, big behemoth servicers uh, have a, it'll take, it'll be tougher for their, them to pivot. So I think we're trying to be nimble and, and take advantage of, of situations uh, that we see come up. So uh, you talk about opportunities kind of coming up, uh you know, when you, when you have issues, you find inefficiencies, uh, et cetera. And you've been, uh, you've been sort of a master of that over the years. And so this, um, this has led to the, of course, the, the latest company pre REO. And, um, that's, um, uh, you know, to understand that efficiency and where this comes up, let's review, if you would, the sequence of events that occur after the person, um, you know, defaults on their loan that, um, and then kind of come back and talk about where pre REO comes in. Do you want to think? Yeah, absolutely. So the process of a standard foreclosure action, which is everything that's in pre REO is going to be in that status. Uh, the differentiator for pre REO versus just a regular foreclosure action is that we're dealing with many properties that are vacant. Uh, the pre-REO product is, has been abandoned. Uh, the homeowner is nowhere to be found, or if they are, they've just decided for whatever reason to vacate and move to another residence. So in that foreclosure process, historically, that's a very difficult asset to sell, uh, a vacant property note uh, for a variety of reasons, because you're, the investor is straddled with all the cost of maintenance, uh, potential vacant property registrations, taxes, et cetera. So it's a very uh, cumbersome asset to hold in your portfolio. What we've done with pre-REO 
is move that asset from basically uh, some people refer to it as dead money because you have to complete the foreclosure action before you can uh, recoup your, your funds. We've been able to monetize that asset during the foreclosure process through um, the receivership program that we have in place. So now by simply appointing a receiver, we are able to obtain, and the investors are able to obtain access to the property, repair it to any degree necessary, and obviously asset to asset that can vary greatly. Once they have those repairs completed, they can put a tenant into the property, start collecting rents. So you're collecting rents, you've now turned that uh, basically dead money asset into a monetized asset where you are collecting revenue during the foreclosure process until the foreclosure action is completed. So it's completely flipped the model on its head from where it was a year ago and throughout the history. So it's a very dynamic opportunity and something that nobody's done before. And we are seeing investors get very nice returns on their money on assets that again, that a year ago, that was dead money. You just had to sit and wait. Didn't matter if it was three months or three years for foreclosure action to happen. Uh, we've been able to put investors in touch with that property and take possession of it and start turning that uh, dead money asset into literally a, a performing asset for them. So let me just kind of step back and, uh, you know, go step by step uh, for, you know, those, uh, I guess, to, to say, you know, sort of dumb it down for everyone including myself, which is how I, I best uh, uh, think in, in very simple terms. Um, so I go to Preario, which I've gone onto the site. It's what, Preario.com? Yes. Yeah, Preario.com. And um, I look on there, and uh, there's there are houses. And it's interesting because it's not just, you know, the $30,000, $40,000 houses that you usually see uh, in these kind of situations, but there's, for example, there's a house uh, for over a million dollars um, listed there in Los Gatos, which is a nice, um, you know, fancy part of Northern California near San Francisco. So now I, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, what I'm looking at is, uh, you know, the cost of buying that mortgage, buying that, uh, uh, you know, that that note. Um, so far, am I correct? You are correct. Okay. So now I can buy that. And before, I may not want to have bought that because whereas I might make a profit on the back end by fixing this thing up uh, and then you know selling it after foreclosure, I've got no opportunity really. Uh, to make money, so I don't know, you know, if if I'm gonna if my returns are just gonna get killed by time, right? So instead, what Preario is saying is, okay, why don't you buy this and then you know fix it up and rent it out, and now you can make money while you're renting it out, and then you can foreclose, you know, on uh, and and then you've got the additional pop on the back end now that you you know you normally would but but in the meantime you're also getting rent is that the key efficiency element that is the key efficiency and and bear in mind that ordinarily a mortgage company some or an investor in a mortgage does not have access to repair and and rent out a, 
a home that they don't own the home. They simply own the mortgage on it. Uh, but what we're doing, what we've added is a receivership process. And typically a receivership is used on a big apartment building or an mm -hmm. office building or some larger uh, complex. And there's often significant costs associated with appointing a receiver, but we've kind of made it this streamlined uh, receivership um, appointment. We're using local real estate agents or property managers as the, as the receivers. And they're looking for simply a property management fee, you know, maybe 10% of the rents collected. And then on the back end, they're looking for a listing if the, if the investor wants to sell it. Uh, and that's all they're looking for. Uh, and so it makes it a cost effective uh, to do this and, uh, and do it on a, on a routine and, and repeatable basis, which is what we're doing with pre-REO. So, uh, you know, as Barry referenced, the dead money, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're sitting two years or a year or however long it takes to foreclose on a home, depending on the state. And you would not, uh, not only are you not collecting rent or any money, typically you're paying money for taxes, you know, maintenance, grass cutting, city registration, city fines, all that stuff. So all that stuff either ends or is significantly mitigated by the rent uh, that is collected. So it really, um, it, it kind of turns uh, it, it, for these vacant, it's first mortgages secured by vacant homes for that type of, of asset it really is a, uh, a means, a, a program to maximize uh, the returns from that, um, from that asset. And Buck, just as a quick side note to that too, that can be, even though it sounds a little bit cumbersome, we have the complete infrastructure built out. So even for a passive investor, that can oftentimes work because you're just engaging with a local contractor that you can pass off the, you know, the repair project to. You're dealing with a local real estate agent that can handle the, uh, all of the marketing aspect and the rent collection and all of those things. So even though it might sound a little bit, um, you know, intensive as far as participation, it can be very, uh, very limited to the investor just because of the structure that we have in place to support it. And in, when you say structure, is it just sort of, you know, you've got some partnerships or you help kind of find the real estate agent, um, you, you know, or, or the contractor that can do these kinds of things or, or, or what? I would say it's the partners. So many times we've, we're assigning real estate agents in many cases to the properties while we're um, marketing the pre-REO. So that's the, your built-in um, uh, property manager, built-in coordinator of the local contractors, uh, and then, you know, built-in person at the back end to sell the property. Plus, you know, I think this, these are really important components. We have a one law firm that handles the foreclosures and the receiverships nationwide. So it's not like you have to go to a local attorney to explain what this is we'll give you one single point of contact, no matter where the property is in the United States, they'll be able to assist. And then you know, one other factor is that uh, in the United States, the vast majority of the states require that a licensed servicer services the mortgage. So AHP servicing you know, is, is here to, to fulfill that function. And so we cover all the bases and it makes it so that it is something where a local investor, instead of kind of putting together a team, they can plug into our existing team. The other component that I, uh, I should make sure to mention is that uh, you have built in, you have built in leverage as well, because for each given property, uh, AHP is going to do, you know, essentially a loan. Um, and so you don't have to bring, you know, uh, if you were looking at that million dollar house, you don't have to bring a million dollars to the table. Uh, how does that work? So these are participations uh, is how we've structured it. So the uh, local investor puts up 25% and then AHP will put up 75%. And 
And that is uh, we cap our return. We're earning a 12% return. So whenever we're repaid, which could be after one day or after two years or even three years, it's, it's basically a two-year term with a one-year extension, but can be repaid at any time. Uh, so we're basically getting a 12% return. Everything over that, uh, you know, the whole, if the um, situation works out extraordinarily well and uh, the local partner makes a 100% return or a 50% return, we get 12, that's it. They get all the difference. So so you're going to have to, in this situation, obviously, if you're going to use the uh, leverage, your return's going to need to be better than 12%. What, um, I know it's, it's very difficult for these kinds of things to say what kind of returns, but you know, um, if you do some rough numbers, what would you expect if you're an investor and you're in this kind of business, uh, what kind of, um, you know, what kind of returns would, would you think would be realistic if, um, if you did this kind of stuff? I'm, I'm thinking 15 to 30%, mm-hmm. uh, will be what the local investor, um, should target. Uh, and, and, you know, it's going to vary by property, but it's also going to vary by, you know, some of those million dollar homes are probably going to be less on a return side, there may be more back end. Um, you know, they may be able to make a greater markup on the back end, but the rent, you know, as is typical, the rent on a, uh, on a low value home is often seems disproportionate to the value of the property and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it, that that's the, that's the cause for the rise wide range. Yeah. And bucket, we're already starting to see payoffs come in, uh, from, some of our very early adopters, you know, some of our very early customers that came in, uh, you know, we've only been up and running for a few months, but they came in, we're already getting payoffs from them and they are in their next phase of purchasing other properties. So I don't have the analytics that we can advertise yet or talk about that, but they're, they wouldn't be coming back if, if they had taken a, uh, a loss or, you know, did not profit from the situation. So, that's one of the most telling things that we've seen. But like I said, I don't have the analytics for it right now, but we are trying to get some, uh, some vanilla numbers together that we can kind of show people actual returns. Yeah. And just to be clear, and I don't want to scare anybody away by saying it's only, you know, do we keep referencing this house in Los Gatos that was 1.3 million or something like that, but there is a full gamut, you know, you've got, you you do have those, smaller $40,000 homes on there as well. So you, you've got, you know, if somebody want to dip in and, and try this on a smaller scale and see if it works or whatever, that, that would certainly be, uh, something that you could do as well. Um, what, um, uh, obviously you don't need to be an accredited investor here either because you're buying assets. You're not participating as some sort of limited partner, et cetera. One other thing that it occurred to me when looking particularly at sort of the higher end homes, uh, George and you and I discussed this a little bit, was, you know, there's also this element of what if you're looking for a house and you want to live in a house, right? Uh, to, to look at this, you know, say you're, say you live, uh, you know, near Los Gatos and all of a sudden you see this, great, you know, great house. I mean, this could actually be something that you do for, owning a house as well and buying something at a pretty significant discount, right? Yes, we already have that happening. So people, um, investors, especially on some of the higher end homes, they're looking, hey, that's a home I'd like to live in and I can buy it at a big discount if I go through this program. So they, uh, so that's possible. Now to be clear though, when uh, during the receivership period and the foreclosure period that ha- needs to be rented to a third party renter, can't be rented to 
you know, to ah, the investor. Okay. Uh, so bear bear that in mind. That would that'd be challenging. Uh, but once uh, once it's foreclosed upon, then the investor is welcome, or the local investor is welcome to. Um, you know, sell it or, or sell it to themselves. Bear in mind, when we foreclose, they, they're foreclosed in the name of our of U.S. Bank uh, Trust as trustee for American Homeowner Preservation Trust. So that's how the asset is held through the foreclosure process. So now that it's foreclosed, it goes into that name and the investor simply has to pay the other 75% and will deed it to them. Or they can go out and get financing and uh, they can uh, use that financing to make the purchase into their name. And when they do that, you know, they could, um, you know, potentially get most, if not all their money back because they've, you know, if the, if the property values increase, uh, then they could um, get a return of the, the money and you hold it as a rental, hold it as an, you know, keep it uh, as a place to live, whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, what do you see as the potential, you know, realistic kind of things to be concerned about. I mean, obviously any kind of endeavor, especially one where you're, you're looking at potentially getting 25, you know, 30% returns or better, whatever uh, you have to look and say, okay, well, what are the risks here? And so uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that? So to be clear, this will require involvement. I won't call it, uh, it's not a, it's not a completely passive investment. It's something where somebody is going to have to actively manage it, even though they could be actively managing it from behind their computer screen uh, by, by, by working with a number of different partners. But it is something where they do need to um, follow up with the receiver, with the servicer, with the attorney, at least get the reports and, and, uh, and, and stay on top of what's going on uh, in order to make sure that everyone's doing what they're doing. Uh, they, and maybe the agent can help them be the quarterback, but recognize it's not just where something where you know, you, you put in X amount of dollars and then it comes back. Uh, there's going to be some, some active management. Uh, so I think that's one. The other part is, and, and this is less, you know, I know it's going through people's minds. So I'm going to answer it before people ask. And uh, is that what if the homeowner comes back and says, Hey, I'll, you know, I'm putting, paying all the back payments. I want to catch up my loan or I want to pay off my loan. What happens then? Uh, so, uh, the reality is that homeowner can't, has the ability to do that. Uh, they would have to bring up, pay up all the back payments, pay the, um, pay any late charges. They'd also have any, the legal fees and any renovation costs that have been expended by the investor and or a receiver would need to be paid as well, but it is conceivable. And what we saw, we saw this just last week is that we had an investor interested in one of the properties that was one of the mortgages that was listed on pre-REO. And then the homeowner did reinstate and they paid the loan up to date. And uh, so the, the, the institution that owns that loan actually pulled it off the site. Uh, now, if that happened the day after the investor had bought it, the good news is the investor would have probably bought it at 75% of, of what was due, 75% of value, whatever the number was. And they would have, you know, the investor has to reinstate at 100%, no discounts. So they would have made money even if the homeowner did reinstate. So keep, keep that in mind. Uh, you know, the further it goes in terms of now renovations are being done, you know, at some point it just doesn't make sense for the, uh, for the original bar to reinstate. Even at the outset, most of these are significantly underwater by the time they come to us. There's no equity, most. Uh, so they're being sold at a big discount and it just doesn't make financial sense for them to come back in. But that is, you know, I'd say that is a concern. And then, uh, you know, I, I guess, the good news is we're taking the passage of time off the table and that's a big risk with a vacant, you know, usually 
having a first mortgage secured by vacant property, the biggest risk is the passage of time and what can happen in that time period because your return just goes, you know, you're generating no money in most cases. And uh, the longer it goes, your return just shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. So here we're mitigating that um, by having the ability to put a, a, a tenant in and, and rent it during the foreclosure process. You know, that that's the big novelty here. Uh, you know, I guess the other question, the other unknowns are, you know, with COVID, uh, which is in some respects creating the opportunity here, yeah. how long is this going to go? You know, are these four foreclosure moratoriums going to last, uh, you know, a, a year or two years? Uh, and, you know, they shouldn't. The reality is a state should make a difference between, hey, this property is vacant. There's no homeowner that we're protecting here. So they should allow you to foreclose. And in some states, you can foreclose on a vacant property. But in other states, it's just blanket foreclosure, no foreclosures are happening. So that is a, uh, that's a, you know, even though you're collecting rent, it may, um, it may take uh, a little longer to get to the final disposition of these assets. And then right. I guess the big, the, the other big unknown is what's going to happen to the housing market. You know, the, I think, you know, right now the housing market, you know, we sell REOs, we're putting a lot under contract, they're not all closing because of COVID, but we're putting a lot under contract, strong numbers. So uh, people are still paying, um, good prices. So we haven't seen the big, you know, big downturn in the pricing. Uh, but there, um, uh, but you know, that's today, how is it going to be in six months or, or, or a year or two years, uh, when we're still digging out from this, uh, I think the big thing that's helping the housing market and we'll probably continue to do so is the low interest rates. These interest rates are so low that, you know, a homeowner looking to buy a home is looking at the payment and saying, I'm, I'm okay with this price because it's just so cheap. Um, you know, the, these, these monthly payments. And, and I think the, on that respect, the good news is the economy is so weak right now that, you know, those, those interest rates are probably low for a long time yeah, yeah. and that'll help keep the, the housing market propped up you know, long-term who knows. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's certainly an interesting concept. Um, and, and as you said, it, as you were saying it, I was thinking, wow, this is, you know, this is uh, this is what an entrepreneur does, right? I mean, you're literally in the situation where you can't foreclose. Uh, so, what do you do with your vacant properties? Well, you try to collect some rent on those properties that you couldn't rent. So, it's it's uh, you know finding the opportunities, and you built a business around it. So, uh, another good illustration from the George uh, Newberry Entrepreneurial School. There, um, what uh, where where can we learn more? Yeah, going to our website, preo.com, P-R-E-R-E-O.com. Uh, our phone number is out there, 800-555-1055. Uh, there's a way to message us through the platform, but we certainly highly encourage people to call. Remember, this is a partnership. You know, we're going into this you know, with participation agreement. We're invested just like the uh, local investor is going to be invested. So, we want to make sure that everybody is, you know, completely comfortable and knowledgeable on what the process is going to look like, you know, what the timelines are going to look like from the foreclosure process to the receivership. So again, we have the complete infrastructure. We want to engage. This isn't just, Hey, go to our website, find an asset and put in an offer. Uh, you certainly can do that. We, we have people that do that, but most of them are people that have done it already. Um, so they come back and, you know, we don't really have a whole lot of engagement with them, maybe a little bit back and forth uh, on a couple of items, but you know, certainly call us, uh, ask the questions you have, you know, build your confidence level in it. Um, like I said, we want to make sure that the investors, the local investors that we're working with 
are fully up to speed on what's ahead of them. And as George and I mentioned, we try to make it as passive as possible, but there's definitely some engagement uh, that's going to be needed. Uh, We can engage as, you know, and be as supportive as possible, but there's definitely some uh, engagement that's going to be necessary on behalf of the investor. But again, we can walk through all of those tangibles and, uh, you know, hopefully find you an investment that's going to give you a nice return in a fairly short period of time. Sounds great, guys. So it's pre-reo.com. And uh, you guys are live now with this new business. Uh, I want to thank you both for being on the show and uh, wish you the best of luck. All right. We appreciate it, Buck. Thank you, Buck. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I love entrepreneurs, and that's why I like George as much as I do. I just love the way he identified this problem and immediately created a business around it. And I think it's a great opportunity uh, for really for you know uh, for everybody involved here, and potentially for you as well, if you're thinking about trying to get involved with something uh, in, in this weird kind of environment where nothing is really moving and you have an itch to do something other than just be a, a pure limited partner. Now, you may not, in which case it sounds like you may not want to participate in this. However, uh, one thing to consider is a number of you are, uh, you know, taking the real estate professional designation uh, with the IRS. And this is certainly a, uh, is an active activity where you can, you know, get some hours uh, logged. So certainly something to think about uh, if you are uh, so inclined. Anyway, I want to wrap this up with one more request from you, which is if you have not yet done so, go to wealthformula.com, click at the top and, you know, give us a five-star rating. It, It gives you a link there to go to iTunes and shows you how to give us a five-star rating. This is really helpful. Obviously, this show is highly reliant on the ratings in terms of the guests that we get. Um, It's always great. Uh, It pushes our show up uh, in the iTunes rankings, and then we get better and better guests and better and better content, et cetera, et cetera. That would be a wonderful thing for you to do for me. Uh, Anyway, that is it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.